how can we bring our intention to our attention and make sure that we are really being cognizant of that when we plug in for work or for pleasure because it is so easy to just kind of go down that internet rabbit hole especially with our phones which are not just phones they're computers and so there are so many things that we can do while we're just checking that email we can order something on amazon i mean the sky is the absolute limit and so whenever we're talking about this i really encourage clients to think about if you kind of have this inner pilot light is any tech activity helping to illuminate that light or is it blowing it out and is it making you feel more exhausted welcome to pursuing health i'm dr julie fouché family physician and former crossfit games athlete here i bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self In this episode, I share a conversation with Nina Hersher about what it means to work in health and harmony with our technology. Nina is the CEO of the Digital Wellness Institute and the co-founder of the Digital Wellness Collective, a global trade association of digital wellness experts and organizations collaborating to enhance human relationships through the intentional use and development of technology. She holds a specialized master's of social work from Washington University in St. Louis in norms of connectivity and reconceptualizing human development in the 21st century. And she also holds credentials as an oasis in the overwhelm facilitator, teen outreach program facilitator, and meditation teacher. Nina is passionate about sharing best practices for consuming and integrating technology into our lives in a way that protects our mental health in a fast-paced world. And I've gotten to know Nina over the past several months, and the insights she's shared have already made me think more intentionally about how I interact with technology and even implement some tangible tips that have made a big difference in my life. So here we discuss best practices for digital flourishing, including considerations for setting up your work environment, protecting your physical health, and even setting some boundaries around social media. Now, before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. With that, let's get to the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am very excited to be here with Nina Hersher, who's the CEO of the Digital Wellness Institute. Um, And I've gotten to know you a little bit over the past few months and have just been fascinated by the work you do. So I'm excited to be able to dive in here and share this conversation with the Pursuing Health audience. So thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Julie. Awesome. Well, I'd love to start with just how you got into this space, you know, digital wellness, maybe we can define that also, but (laughs) find yourself um, working on something called digital wellness. Sure. Yeah. So the concrete kind of definition is really the optimal state of health and well-being that each individual using technology is capable of achieving. And so if we distill all of that down, it's really just what does wellness look like in this age of constant kind of connectivity. Mm -hmm. And so my journey to this topic was pretty, pretty personal. I I've had some fluency issues since I was a very young child. And so I've been in speech therapy since about five and growing up, I could sometimes take a long time to even say a few words. And so eye contact was really how I let people know I was trying to communicate with them. And I noticed at a very young age that sometimes I would be trying to talk to people and they wouldn't even know because they were texting or they were on their phones. 
And I didn't quite know what to do with that. And I think witnessing that also as an only child spending a lot of time around adults, I was a little bit horrified and a little bit captivated by what I was seeing. And so a lot of that experience, I think, is what really informed my professional journey and my desire to really research how are these changing norms of connection really reconceptualizing how we develop and how we interact as human beings. And now kind of at the heart of all of that is how do we work with all of these tools and how do we really experience things like genuine connection online and looking at all of the different parts of that particular beast. Wow. Um, I love that story. And so interesting to think about. I think so many of us don't even realize, especially depending on when we were born and when technology was really, you know, how much of it was introduced at what point in our lives, we probably don't even realize the way that it's affected our ability to communicate and connect with people in a lot of ways. And it has such an impact on all aspects of our health. Um, I know you talk a lot about how it impacts our physical health, but also mental, social, emotional health. And it, like you, like you just mentioned, it's a, it's a tool and now it's everywhere. It's in every aspect of our lives and learning how to use these tools effectively, like any other tool is so important. Um, I think a lot of people that, you know, when we talk about CrossFit, a lot of people may be intimidated by CrossFit or think, oh, CrossFit's dangerous. And I always say CrossFit is like any other tool. If you use it the way it's intended to, um, it's really powerful and can have these amazing effects, but you can also misuse it and it can potentially have negative effects. Um, so I love the way that you approach all this from, from very balanced perspective of technology is amazing, but how do we use it so that it supports our health? Like you said, and, and is the, supports the the maximal health that we can achieve while using technology. Absolutely. And I would say to that end, that is really how we have chosen to teach a lot of this content. So we have um, a really incredible kind of team who I, who I work with, and we together kind of coined this term of online or digital flourishing. And when we're talking about that, we're really talking about like this mindful approach to tech usage where we get to enjoy all of the incredible things it brings us while maybe avoiding some of those other things that are not so fun like tech neck um and so <laughs> i think it really has to do with approach and how we can frame it as really self-care also absolutely Absolutely. And I love when you talk about digital flourishing, I've seen you talk about this spectrum where you have this aspect of digital detox. Like, you know, I know for myself, I've gone time periods just without any technology and that's been very healthy for me, but then also realizing, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily live in the mm -hmm. way that you could, but it might not be what you want to do. Um, and so there has to be this sort of healthy balance of how do you create boundaries? How do you use it and really flourish with it? Um, and that let it sort of run your life in an, in an unconscious way. Absolutely. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit. I'm, I'm reading right now this book called Focus. And I know that um, technology is one of those things that's always um, trying to fight for your attention. And we talked about, you know, we, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the movie Social Dilemma. And there's a lot of scary things when you think about how technology is designed or how it's made. And a lot of it is really looking at our attention as our most precious resource. Um, so I'd love to, to talk a little bit about that and how, how we can become more aware, more mindful of where our attention is going. 
Mm, I love that you were reading that book. I think that (laughs) this kind of notion of the attention economy is really present for a lot of people, whether or not they've seen that film or read that book. And really, it just means that our attention is like one of the most precious resources out there. And it can be used kind of as this extractable resource. And so there's this kind of article where um, the CEO of Netflix Mm. tells us that their largest kind of um, challenge isn't like Hulu or any other company. It is sleep because sleep is something that we all need as humans, (laughs) right? Except like, how do we turn off? Um, And when you're watching TV or you're plugged into any of those platforms, typically the algorithm is designed to keep you watching. Um, And so I think this all really comes down to this idea of how can we bring our intention to our attention and make sure that we are really being cognizant of that when we plug in for work or for pleasure, because it is so easy to just kind of go down that internet rabbit hole, especially with our phones, which are not just phones, they're computers. And so there are so many things that we can do while we're just checking that email. We can order something on Amazon. I mean, the sky is the absolute limit. And so whenever we're talking about this, I really encourage clients to think about if you kind of have this inner pilot light, is is any tech activity helping to illuminate that light or is it blowing it out and is it making you feel more exhausted? And that's a really good kind of inner check um, to know if you are using tech to fuel versus fatigue or exhaust you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a great, oh, such a great way to think about it and just taking time to to even look at, you know, it can be scary, I think, to look at your screen time usage or what mm-hmm. you're spending most of your time on with different apps, but it can be really illuminating to say, okay, is this really how I want to be spending my time? Is this giving me more energy or making me feel more connected or is it draining me? Um, because oftentimes I know I find, you know, I pick up my phone to do one thing and then 10 minutes later, I'm, you know, I've done five different things before I've even done that. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, I'd love to talk about now that we're, you know, I think this applies to anyone, whether you're working from home or you're back in the office, but we are in very much a, uh, work from home era. And a lot of things have shifted for people since, um, COVID started, but maybe we could talk about a few of the different domains of, um, you know, digital flourishing. (laughs) And I know one of them is the environment. So thinking about being intentional about setting up your environment to use technology in a healthy way. Absolutely. So when we're thinking about that domain of environment, it's, it's really about, I would say both, both your internal and your external environment. And there's a lot of juicy stuff to dig into there. And so internal environment to me is looking at, do you feel grounded? Do you feel equipped to really begin your day? And part of that is your morning routine or whatever gets you to that place. And so something that I encourage people to do is take 10, 20, maybe even half an hour to not plug into tech when they're first waking up to really have a chance for that introspection, to have a chance to see, Hey, am I feeling tired? Hey, let me check my aura ring. Hey, let's see what's happening. So I can make a plan for my day and either bring all the energy I need to bring to it, or maybe take a little bit more rest. 
And sometimes when we check our email first thing, there's something called email apnea where you'll find that you may actually be holding your breath when you're checking your email, which is very taxing on our central nervous system. And so we want to bring our attention to that, right? Because if, if we're, you know, waking up using our phone as a clock next to where we sleep, we're going into kind of that place of fight or flight. If there is a crisis at work, that's not really setting our internal, um, realm up for the kind of calm that we would optimally want it to have when entering a day. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a big part of it is this internal environment, but external environment is just as important. And it's been really, I think, enjoyable for me to talk to all different people about, Hey, how has it been for you working from home? Because some people had a home office, but a lot of people didn't. And they're working from their kitchen tables or they've, you know, made something kind of playful and they're hanging like a tapestry on a wall. And so just talking with people and saying, Hey, what if you moved your couch? And they're like, Oh, I haven't moved my couch in 20 years. And it's like, okay, but what if you moved your couch and had like this little corner be your office or what are some different things that we can do in terms of your environment? Because with all of these kind of small tips, what we really want to do is we want to empower people to be creating the environment to support behavior change. Mm -hmm. And so with working from home, that looks like on kind of interrupted time and a few of these other concepts that really help us to get to work and be in a productive and flow state. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think this is something a lot of people um, can relate to and have probably done trial and error to figure out what works best for them. And I know for me, um, the phone is a, is a huge, has made a huge difference. Just plugging in my phone away from my bed, making sure that I don't look at it first thing in the morning. Um, I used to do airplane mode at night. Um, but for some reason I stopped doing that. I'm not percent sure why. Um, but that certainly makes a huge difference. Um, and then I think too, I've noticed personally, just the difference between really having a set morning routine, even working out in the morning, sometimes like showering, getting fully dressed, even if I have no video calls, but feeling like I'm going to work (laughs) in a professional environment that helps me to get into work mode a lot too. Absolutely. I see so much interest in kind of like also recreating this idea of a commute because people are used to traveling to work, but they don't do that anymore. And so there's kind of like this transition, right? And we don't have that. At least a lot of us don't have that. And so it's like, how, how can we recreate that? Because the lines between like work and home slash retreat are so blurred Mm -hmm. that like, how do we exhale? How do we really work to differentiate those two worlds? And so I see some people, they'll like take a walk, you know, and they'll be like, okay, after I take this walk. I'm heading straight to my office and I'm going to start work. Mm -hmm. And it's been really fun to, you know, just explore how can we recreate a commute, even if you don't have to. And there are some really, really goofy, playful things out there. (laughs) That's so cool. And I know for me, the biggest thing has been not having as much time to listen to podcasts or audio books on a commute. And so that's a great way to do it is to think about you know, doing a walk before or after work, not only does it help you get outside and get some sunlight in the morning, but lots of ways to sort of clear your head before you go into that workspace. Yeah. And folks chief complaint or challenge will say, 
with that is, oh, well, I don't have time, but things expand to the time we allot them. Right. And so if you put something on your calendar and you treat it just like you would a meeting with someone else, chances are it will actually get done. That might mean that you have to, you know, wake up half an hour earlier, but really I think reintegrating with your routine and like having that peace of mind is so well worth it and can set the tone for your entire day. So you are coming to your work in a way that's responsive versus reactive. Mm -hmm. And that's going to trickle out to your clients, to your teams and so much more. Yeah, absolutely. And if we had, you know, if we had a commute, we would make it work somehow, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's great. Um, what about for, you know, any tips for people who are working from home with other people in the house, maybe it's a spouse maybe it's children. Um, it can be really challenging. I think when you're trying to get work done, but then there's a lot of other, you know, people stopping by, you've got people delivering packages in the middle of the day, whatever it is, um, to try to minimize those distractions too. That's a great question. I think it really depends on who is in the household, right? Because if we have children who are like, Hey mommy, I need help with my homework right now. It's due in two hours. That's very different than, you know, someone just like ringing and maybe you don't have to sign for something. They're just dropping a package off to let you know that it's there. (laughs) And so I would say the largest thing I could recommend is finding even a corner of your house. That is yours. That is work zone that is out of sight from everything else. Even if you're, you know, using something small, like, like a tapestry or like a little privacy screen, these things can make a big difference in letting the other people in the household know this is my office. Sometimes my husband who has two different offices will work at the, at the, at the kitchen table. And I will just, talk to him and he'll be like, I realize that I'm working here. So it seems like you can talk to me, but I'm trying to work. And I'm like, okay, I love you. Please go to your office. And he's like, okay, no problem. So we just get into these patterns and these routines. Common areas are common areas. And it is important for us to have common areas again, for that decompression from work. And so, you know, just inviting everyone to like move things around. If you haven't already, it's been a year, year and a half, maybe move things around, see how it feels. Um, You know, I have like a little tiny office that's right behind our house. That's been great for me. I know that sometimes people yell, sometimes people scream. They have big booming voices that find you wherever you are. So however you can kind of muffle that sound, But beyond that environment component is the communication component. And so hanging up a sign that says in a meeting and letting other people in your household know that unless the house is on fire, please do not interrupt me. We have this kind of expression, clear is kind. So people aren't going to know how to support you unless you let them know. And I think that's really how we can be change agents in our own household. But The other part of that is I think letting people know kind of your typical work hours. And sometimes you don't have typical work hours. Sometimes you're working until 2 a.m. and you want to be working until 2 a.m. because you're feeling inspired and that's okay. We don't want to unplug just to unplug, right? But especially for those who have kids in the household, your kids just want to know, hey, when can we play? Hey, when can we hang out? So sometimes, you know, if, if someone's eating and all of a sudden they get pulled into a work email, but your child is expecting you to do an activity with them. The biggest support 
that you can really be is just letting them know, Hey, here's exactly what I'm doing and why I can't wait to be with you in 20 minutes. They just want to know when they're going to be able to play with you. And so kind of recreating and updating that map as it happens will help everyone in the household to know what's going on and respect each other's kind of environments when someone does need quiet time. And that includes kids who need quiet to do homework. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. And I think, you know, I've definitely seen that to be true. The just being clear in communication and how hard it is, you know, especially when you have a house, maybe multiple people are working in it and, you know, just trying to find a place and and trying to be clear about when you're working and when it's okay to interrupt and when it's not, um, is, is always helpful. Um, what about the physical space? And when we talk about like physical effects of technology, like posture and, you know, you know, sitting all day or things like that. What are some things that we can do there to make sure that we're really supporting our health? Absolutely. So on Amazon or a lot of other platforms, they kind of have these ergonomic adjustable laptop stands. I'm actually using one now. And the one that I use can expand so far up that you can actually move to be totally upright. Mm -hmm. And so I find that very helpful. It helps us with our posture. I think a lot of us have kind of tech neck and we have to think, okay, if we were a turtle, we'd be pulling our head (laughs) back into our shell. We're way too far out here. Right. And so that's just a simple thing we can do. Imagining that you have a thread running up, 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 and it's like lifting you up just to kind of reset our posture. But the other big thing is movement. We are not wired to be sitting all the time. That is not natural for humans. Even when you go to an office, you're typically you know, working and walking down the hall to your next meeting. Mm -hmm. And so in that vein of kind of productivity and health, what can we be doing? Right. Mm -hmm. Something that I'm doing now is I'm actually making sure that I have at least 10 minutes, sometimes 20 between meetings, because I want to process, I want to write that email. And then I want to actually take a break, even if that's just, you know, walking inside to have a snack Mm -hmm. and coming back on the topic of food, having pre-made food in the fridge, doing some meal prep is worth it because then you don't have to also feel like you have to cook for everyone in your household on your 20 minute lunch break. So I think (laughs) these all kind of tie into physical health. And I think the other thing that's been top of mind for people is blue light and this idea of eye strain because blue light is really coming out of all of our different devices. And blue light is a natural kind of part of the world. It it can be very healthy. That's why you actually want to go outside and you want to see the sun and you want to absorb that blue light. It helps wake you up, but we don't want to be experiencing that blue light in the evening. So there are a lot of tools. Um, there's one I use called F flex F dot L U X. Um, there are also different tools like that, that are now kind of programmed in, um, to iPhones and Android. So we're having to do the add-ons less and tech is being designed more for human well-being, which is beautiful. Um, but for people who are like, Oh, I have blue light glasses and I love them. I look at them in horror and I just ask, you're not wearing them 
all day, are you? And when the answer is yes, we have to talk about it because blue light glasses should not be worn all day. Blue light is a very healthy part of waking up. It's a part of your natural circadian rhythm. And so we want to use blue light glasses selectively. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I love it. What about any tips for teams with working more effectively with technology together or setting those kind of norms or, or boundaries for how they use technology? Mm. So every organization, industry, age, size is going to be a little different, right? And so what we encourage them to do is this idea of a communication or team charter. And basically what that is, is it's per team um, versus per company because teams use different tools. Like Mm -hmm. the tools that say engineers use are going to be very different than health coaches, right? Mm -hmm. And so basically having the teams align and say, we're going to use these platforms to be in touch. Mm -hmm. These are our approximate work hours. If someone needs to be on call, here's that person, or maybe the person on call changes each week and really setting the norms, because again, kind is clear. And we want to give everyone back their peace of mind. Mm -hmm. We want to look at when we're being plugged in or we're being the most productive we can be. When we take that break, is that break effectively recharging us so that when we come back to work or home, we're bringing that kind of energy and that presence with us. And so with a team charter, people would kind of look at, hey, we'll use Slack to communicate during hours. If it's urgent, I will call you or text you after hours. But just kind of being aligned Um, on that can give a lot of clarity. I had someone two days ago who reached out to me on Slack and also by email and also by text. And then they told me that they felt overwhelmed when I replied on all three and they were about three totally different things. (laughs) And I was responding to them and that was totally fine. But bringing kind of our awareness and um, owning, you know, how are we reaching out? And is that fragmenting people's attention or are we doing it in a way that, you know, helps everyone to be on the same page? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can be definitely overwhelming. I know for me, it's been a, a big adjustment using so many different tools and so many different emails and yeah. communication platforms. And so just having that alignment with your team really goes a long way. I'd love to shift and just talk for a little bit about social media, because this is obviously a huge topic and it's something that is really close to me because I feel like my relationship with social media has changed a lot in the past year. And it's something I still really struggle with, like internally, Mm -hmm. how I want to use it. Um, I think, you know, there's so much good that can come from it and the ways that we're able to connect with people and learn and, um, have new ideas, but then at the same time, I saw how it was having a lot of negative impacts on me, just the way that I was using it unconsciously. Like I saw how I would naturally go to check Instagram, like without even thinking about it, or, you know, as much as you don't, as much as I think that I don't want to be influenced by likes or how many people viewed stories or comments or things like that, like subconsciously it, it affects you. And so I, for a while went the detox route and I didn't go on it at all. And now I've been back on and I I will post very infrequently compared to when I used to post. Um, and I try to just post when it's something that I feel really passionate about or something that I really want to post about. And I rarely scroll, but I, I feel like 
I feel like I'm kind of halfway in my relationship with social media. Like I'm, I'm kind of dipping my toe back in, but I'm a little scared and I want to make sure that when I do you start using it more, I'm being intentional about it. So those are kind of things that are on my mind, but I'd love to hear. Sort of- oh, I, I feel that so personally too. <laughs> so my, so my Instagram handle, um, is, is, um, digital well-being, okay. which I've had for so long. And okay. that is only impressive because I've had it for so long. And that is also Instagram's campaign. And I'm surprised they haven't taken it from me. Wow. That's- and I hardly ever use it. And so I have like this weird guilt around, like, I have this awesome handle. I should be yeah. using it to reach more people. And then I don't because I prefer teaching and I just, and then like periodically I'll be like, oh, I should hire a social media intern. And then I do. And then I like stop posting for six months. So yeah. I think that (laughs) this like sense of too, because of the platform that I have from CrossFit, there's a sense of feeling like I have this responsibility. I have to use this for good to like spread good messages or to be able to help people somehow. And that creates a lot of pressure too. Um, And so it's sort of this like double-edged sword. It does. It does. And I think that as we look to kind of how we want to be, um, We've actually talked to a lot of youth about this and it's really, really interesting. And what, what has come out is the most kind of productive thing we can do to be change agents is to show up as who we are and not to pretend to be other people. There's a really kind of great new field that's emerged um, called positive media psychology. Hmm. And it's kind of, um, it's, it's grown a lot even in, the past five years. And it looks at things like, okay, what are examples of like positive social media accounts and things that inspire you? But ultimately the user, the person is going to have a unique relationship with their different social media accounts. And so what we encourage folks to do is to unfollow accounts that don't inspire them, that don't feel motivational. So if maybe you're like, Oh, she's way too pretty. I can't. Or like, if, if it's bringing up any negative kind of emotions in you, you are in charge. And so you can unfollow that account Mm -hmm. and choose to follow accounts that truly feel inspirational to you. And then when you do choose to post, you know, showing up as the true you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that doesn't mean posting every single day, but I think that there is also a difference between people who want to use it. They want to help. It's kind of part of their work. They have to have an account and people who are, you know, using it as their primary company. Mm -hmm. And those people are posting every day. There is a, um, there is a Facebook page that is about parenting, um, that I was following for a little while because my friend had created it. And then I realized that what they were really doing is they were just like spamming content every like 20 minutes. And yes, they have over 4 million people following that account, but who are these people? And do they really want to be seeing that much information all the time? And so I think it's about who is your target audience? How are you showing up for them? What is your content like? Do you feel good about it? Would you maybe be happier if you posted once to twice a week or once to twice a month? Mm -hmm. And kind of how does that, how does that feel for you as, as a role model, having this ripple effect to lots and lots of other things? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I love that. That's a, that is one thing that I did do when I came back on after I took some time away, I did went, go through and unfollowed a lot of accounts that it like for no personal reason, like some of them were just, were just mm-hmm. like, I can't follow this many accounts or, you know, I, you know, some people that I prefer to just see in person or catch up with in person mm-hmm. or things like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it can be so powerful um, just some of the, the amazing things I've seen on social media, like people connecting people, you know, being exposed to ideas or people that end up changing their lives in really positive ways. Um, and so I love to hear about that positive media psychology. That sounds mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, I'd love to see, are there like a lists or somewhere, um, like categories of, of accounts that are really positive for people to follow. That would be so interesting. That would be really cool. I can ask <laughs> our research director if she has kind of some concrete examples. I think it is, you know, really personal. Um, for example, if someone's feeling overweight, like there might be some profiles that are just triggering to them, period. Whereas that same profile might be really helpful for someone else. Okay. Um, so I think it, it again comes to like, what kind of intention are you going in with? Or are you just kind of endlessly and mindlessly scrolling? Right. Right. Yeah. And as we think about how, just how much of our world and how much um, time people spend on social media too, it is, it is, you know, there's a tendency to want to say like, well, let me just ignore it and completely go away from it. But also, you know, it's a great point that, the more positive that we put out there, the more that we'll hopefully be able to shift, um, shift the focus and the culture into a, into a positive place. Um, because it is something that's probably here to stay and, and something that is affecting people and where a lot of people are spending their time. Absolutely. And also I think acknowledging that in developing countries are in a very different place. And so some of the kind of issues and problems that we're talking through today might not be as relevant for parts of kind of like Africa where they're just, you know, seeing this for the first time and everything is inspirational and intriguing or just like there are different kind of experiences having to do with like the evolution of technology in that country Mm -hmm. and how it's being kind of brought into education. Mm-hmm. So we are, we are very much in charge of that journey, which makes it all the scarier. <laughs> it almost makes me think about just processed food, like how we mm-hmm. created processed food and exported it to all of these developing countries and um, similar sort of thing. And I've heard social media or I've heard technology be talked about as food too. Like some of it is like junk food and some of it yep. is like really real good nutritious food. And it's probably different for each person and depending on how they use it, but helping to sort that out. And what are we choosing to consume? And I think also really honoring that people learn differently. And so some people want to read a blog, some people want to tune in and just do like audio and other people, you know, really want to like watch something. Mm -hmm. And these are all going to be different for every person. It isn't like there's just one way that's good that will teach everyone the correct way. Um, And I think because of that, this kind of notion of being exhausted just by choices is, is very real because we have so many choices and so many options that we can make every single day. And so it's just kind of about choosing a path and feeling good about that path and then adjusting where you need to. 
Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, I'm sure over the years you have done a lot of sort of self-experimentation with what works for you. And I'm sure you're always trying different things, but I would love to go through if you could sort of what your typical day looks like with technology and some things that you um, really have found to be helpful for you and how you're using different types of technology throughout the day. Absolutely. So what does my day look like? I can think about today <laughs> and I'm like, what is a normal day, but what is normal? I think that, so I used to set an alarm. Now I just wake up on, on my own, but especially when I have like a really critical call, I do set an alarm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an alarm clock that is a smart alarm alarm clock, but it is a digitally well alarm clock. It's called lofty. And, um, I really love it because you can play different things to it. You can kind of do different breathing exercises. What I love most about it is if you click it twice, it turns off the time. So you don't see the time because I am the type of person who will wake up at 2am. And if I see it's 2am, I'll be like, Oh shoot, it's 2am. And I'll be even more awake. (laughs) So I don't want to see it. I just want to know that the alarm will go off. And so I wake up, I have that. It actually plays like some very like gentle tunes to just wake you up slowly. It's like emerging from the magical forest. And then (laughs) it will play it again. I think about 10 minutes after to actually say, okay, girl, it's time to wake up. And so that is my morning. I do everything in my power to not check my phone for the first half an hour of being awake. I have tea, I eat, I go for a walk with my husband. I really just take that time and see what I need in order to execute everything I need to execute that day, because every day is different. Mm-hmm. And then I start work. I head up to my little home office up here on the hill with the beautiful view of the mountains. And I try to take those breaks that we talked about. And so if there's any break that I want to take, I put it on my calendar and I treat it as a meeting. Mm-hmm. And that's been a really, really big help for me. And then I make sure that I'm actually taking a break to eat. And all of these pieces that we talk about, um, I think that with tech, we can have this tendency to be so cerebral that the practice of unplugging can be helpful so far as we're taking that time to shift kind of out of this plane into our feeling plane. So out of the mind, out of the logical into the physical body to figure out what do we need right now. And so to that end, I do not eat in front of my computer unless it is a special occasion or I'm with kids or watching a movie and doing TV dinner because I want to taste my food. I want to know, am I still hungry after eating half of this or am I just mindlessly shoveling food into my mouth? And so I try and take the opportunity to eat outside whenever possible. And I think that's been a really big kind of game changer for me. And then I have my afternoon. Um, I have two days a week that I block for something called deep work. And we're seeing this happen with a lot more organizations because employees are saying, oh, I have so many meetings. When do I actually have the time to do the work that we're talking about in the meetings? Right. Yeah. And so, and so two days a week, I just have that protected time. And unless there's a client, you know, who's in a time zone, that's the only time to make it work. I really hold that time for deep work. Mm -hmm. And that's very important for my creativity as well as my work output. Mm -hmm. And then in the evening, I kind of have the same routine. I try and take a walk 
because even if I'm tired, just taking a walk around the block is going to help me sleep a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I try to finish eating by about 6 30 PM. So my system has time to digest. Mm-hmm. And then I put my phone in the kitchen. I put my phone very, very outside of where we sleep because we are human and it is natural to reach for it. Mm-hmm. I just saw, I think it was about 83% of people are checking their phone after 11 PM. And sometimes it's not because you feel like you you know, have to check your email. You're just naturally drawn to it because it's that habit. And yeah. so again, with this idea of environment, how can we change our environment to actually support the behavior change that we want? And so I put my phone away. So I really have to get up and walk through the house to reach it. And by then I'm like, Oh, I know I shouldn't be here. And I put it back. <laughs> I've had some clients who are very extreme. They will lock it in the glove box of their car, which I think is hilarious. But like, if that's what you need to do, baby, do it. (laughs) So there are kind of all these different places. Um, My husband just got a timer. So he is turning our Wi-Fi off Mm. between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Because there's no reason that we need to be up in the night or thinking, oh, I'll just watch one more episode and fall back to sleep. So that is definitely a change we made recently, but most importantly, I do not sleep next to my phone. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really big help. Um, and something that I think isn't talked about nearly enough is that when we're falling asleep, we're actually in this kind of light place of hypnosis. And so anything that we expose ourselves to is going to trickle in that much more. And so just like we might tell our children, you know, don't watch the news. It's scary. You'll have horrible dreams we also might have horrible (laughs) dreams. And so how are we going to make sure that we're really getting the good night's sleep that we're craving? And that's what a typical day looks like for me. I love it. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. One follow-up question is when you think about communication tools and things like email or messaging or texting, how do you set boundaries around those? Or how do you you make sure that you're blocking time, like you said, for deep work throughout the day? Mm So I do have texting hooked up to my computer, um, which is a choice. I chose that because I know that I take a a much longer time to respond on my phone, if only because the the screen is smaller. Mm -hmm. And so I have texting hooked up, but during calls like this, I turn it off. So I'm not going to see anything. I'm not going to kind of get distracted. I'm a really big advocate of auto replies. Um, And so phones have auto replies. They don't make it easy. That's changing. You kind of have to hunt. Um, But on iPhones, especially you will find your auto reply is through the do not disturb while driving. And so you can actually change that text to say anything. And so I think it's about how we have conditioned other people and how we want to condition other people moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so I have friends who, you know, check their texts like once a day. I'm the kind of person where once I see it, I can't unsee it. And I would like to respond to you ASAP. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not in that place where I'm able to respond, I'll usually have an auto reply up and it will say something like I'm in a meeting Mm -hmm. or I'm recording a course and I'm currently away from my phone. I look forward to being in touch later. And I'll kind of change it based on what's happening so that people know, because, you know, if anybody has like a really sweet Jewish 
mom like mine, you know, if she calls you twice and she doesn't hear from you, she thinks that you're dead. And so letting her know what you're doing so that, you know, nobody's freaking out. And so everyone is just like, oh, okay, this is how this person is choosing to interact with tech, not only helps to protect your attention because you don't have to worry about like answering the call just to say, Hey, I can't talk right now. You just don't talk right now. You're also, you know, providing that kind of experience for other people so that they're like, Hey, I would really, really love to also set up an auto reply. So I don't have to feel glued to my phone. And for those with kids, there is a way where if someone calls you twice, your phone will ring. So it's not just off. There are kind of these middle pass around it, because if something is urgent, you absolutely want people to be able to reach you. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And I had recently heard about that. Um, and I, I tried it once. And so I think that's a, a really great idea, especially because I can get behind on text and it would help just to give people that heads up of, you know, here's what I'm doing. I'm not ignoring you. <laughs> absolutely. And I believe if they text you twice and write urgent, it will actually come through. And so again, there are ways for you to know if something truly is urgent. And then of course you will give it your attention. So cool. So cool. Well, for people who are listening and want to just get a a sense of like where to start with all this, like, how do I know, how do I know, how do I take an assessment of how I'm using technology and how do I look at how to, um, maybe make some changes to use it in a healthier way, where would you recommend that people start? Great question. So if you all go to digitalflourishing.com, you will find a free clinical tool where you can basically look at your tech habits in all these different areas. And then at the end, it will say, hey, you're doing really great in these categories, in these others, maybe not so much. Most importantly, here are some actionable tips and things that you can kind of change to try. If people are interested in kind of deepening their education or continuing education, you can go to digitalwellnessinstitute.com. And then once a year, we run this really, really big um, campaign that we turned into a holiday, and that is called Digital Wellness Day. Mm -hmm. And so last year we had over 7 million people involved. It was extraordinarily powerful. And um, it's going to be a blast this year as well. So this year, Digital Wellness Day is on May 6th, 2022. And we also hold some free events. I'm actually holding an event tomorrow on our digital habits and gratitude. And so there's always kind of free offerings in addition to actual continuing education, something for everyone. And we're here to support you all however we can. That's awesome. I'm definitely putting that on my calendar. (laughs) We'll celebrate that with you. Um, I do want to close with three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So I'm sure some of these may come from what you already talked about with your typical day, but the first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Yeah. So I would say the first one is not checking my phone for the first half an hour of being awake. Mm -hmm. And I would say the second is making sure that when I eat my meals are unplugged. Mm -hmm. And the third was when I really stopped using my phone as a clock. There's no need to do that. There are so many other amazing clocks and watches out there. It's kind of about like honoring some of the older things that worked for so well for 
that have just worked so well for such a long time. Um, was that two or three? Yeah, that was three. That was, that three. was three. Okay, great. Perfect. What's one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you struggle to implement it or something that you're working on now? Mm-hmm. I would say I am good at taking breaks. I am less wonderful about making sure that, that those breaks involve movement. Mm -hmm. And so something that I teach about, but I'm working on is this Mm -hmm. idea of flexible routine where you make a list of different kind of break activities that are maybe like 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour. So that whenever you have a break, you have that list and you don't have to, you know, spend half of your break, just thinking about what to do. You can just pick one and go because every day, especially when working from home or with hybrid work, it's going to be a little different. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working on my list involving more physical movement. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And I've talked about on the podcast, I think a few times before the Pomodoro technique of Mm -hmm. building in those, you know, five minutes and longer breaks, you know, every 90 minutes or so. And Movement is always such a great thing to do on those breaks that I'm in the same boat as you, where oftentimes I find myself just walking around, getting a snack or going outside, which are all great things to do. But um, it's a great way, even if it's just stretching or just moving your body in some way um, to, to get the blood flowing and help you feel more energized. Absolutely. All right. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? A healthy life to me looks like feeling at peace and integrated in different communities. Um, so like online in person, having people to really like work out with, cause we have so much kind of input that we need to make sure that we're expressing, like we really need that output. We need that exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think feeling, feeling like overall, I have a pretty good handle on things, um, which for me comes from my calendar. And so just, you know, looking at it and feeling like I have organized things in a way, um, where I can show up with presence and my full attention to work on projects before moving on to something else. And so healthy to me is all of those different things. And just making sure that I'm doing everything I can to live in a helpful way in this age of constant connectivity. I love that. That's beautiful, Nina. I wanted to just thank you for, for being here and for sharing all of your knowledge and experience and for all the work that you do. This is such important work in this world. As you said, as we're, we're just shifting in so many ways. And so hopefully people picked up a few tips from listening. I know I've picked up a few more. I think one of my favorite tips, which we didn't even talk about what that you taught me earlier was about hiding the self view on my zoom camera, which I've been doing all the time now. (laughs) And it's so helpful. I didn't know you could do that before, but you can do it at the little, the three dots in the top of your window. There's an option to hide your self view. So you don't have to look at yourself all day when you're on zoom calls. (laughs) Big one. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Nina. This has been so awesome. And I just really appreciate your time and everything that you do. Thank you so much for having me and all of your wonderful work in the world too. I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people. 